Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. So I stopped doubting a long, long time ago, but it is time for everybody else to stop questioning it and just accept it. I'm talking about the Miami Heat culture. The Miami Heat culture is absolutely a real thing. Playoff Jimmy Butler is absolutely a real thing. It's not a thing. Dude, it is a thing. It's not. It is. It's not. Jimmy, it is. It's not a thing. My man, it is. Listen. It's not. Far be it for me to argue with you about you. How am I going to win an argument with Jimmy Buckets about him? Listen, I respect the hell out of Jimmy. I really do not want to get on the wrong side of him. And I certainly do not want to tell him he's wrong about his own game, but he's wrong about his own game. You are, dude. I'll just be hooping. No, dude. You're not just hooping. You're hooping at an absolutely ludicrous level. You're not just hooping. You are freaking dominating. I've said this over and over again, but Jimmy Butler is one of the best players in the NBA period, full stop. But come playoff time, the man is damn near the second coming of MJ himself. He's the super alpha among super alphas. He is him. Himmy Butler. And no, I'm not just throwing around that Jordan thing either, by the way. I'm fully aware of how strong of a statement that is. I'm not opening up my mouth so diarrhea and lava can pour out. That's not what that is. That is absolutely a justifiable comparison in this case because he's literally doing MJ things. Case in point, last night. (laughs) Himmy's second career road playoff game with at least 30 points, five boards, five dimes, five steals. 35, 5, and 5. Go ahead. Take a guess at the only other dude to ever do that. That's right. It would be my co-star in the good space jam. It would be Mike. Baseball bat. Get this guy a tennis racket. So don't try to tell me the playoff Jimmy is not a thing because it is. Don't try to tell me today isn't another bleeping Jimmy Butler day because it is. Jimmy Butler day for all you bitches out there. <laughs> One of the greatest lines ever. Exactly, dude. Now we're on the same page. Now we are on the same page. Honestly, these days, it feels like every day is a bleeping Jimmy Butler day for all you bees out there. Do not get it twisted. I'm not ignoring or discounting the rest of the heat or the heat culture or Coach Spo, who is incredible. Top to bottom, this team and this organization are absolutely cooking right now. I mean, yes, Buckets got his buckets. But as a whole, the team shot 54% from the field and over 51% from three. This is supposedly a busted up, banged up team, lacking depth and talent that was supposed to be run over and completely overwhelmed by the Celtics. Instead, They just completely ran over and overwhelmed the Celtics in their house to rip the home court advantage. And then, of course, when it came to finishing time, closing time, it was the cold-blooded psycho, Hemi Buckets, 
who went right there to stick that dagger all the way in and twist it. Shot clock at three. Butler with Brogdon on him. It's a long three. And good! Oh, Jimmy freaking Butler puts it in! Jimmy freaking Butler! Jimmy freaking Butler puts it in! Another straight-up Ionic call from the straight-up Ionic Kevin Harlan. Ionic. And seriously, what the hell else are you even supposed to say about this dude right about now? He's just Jimmy friggin' Butler. And one of the best things about Jimmy friggin' Butler is that he doesn't just dominate these playoff games. He dominates the subsequent pressers as well. Check out his reaction. When somebody had the audacity to come at him and ask him if he thought that a run like this was possible when Miami was struggling in the play-in tournament. Did you think then that something like this would be possible? Damn right. I did. Damn right. We did. Um, And the best part about it is we still don't care what none of y'all think, honestly speaking. Um, We don't care if you pick us to win. We never have. We never will. This dude, that was the Buckets equivalent of dropping do you know who the hell I am? You know who the hell I am? You know who the hell we are? You know know who who the hell hell I am? am? What up, people? You know who the hell I am? Or maybe like the Buckets equivalent of going all Walter White with it. Like, did I think it was possible? You're damn right. You're goddamn right. This dude. This dude. I mean, I know it's all very positive here, but what is there to knock? The man is straight up willing and allegedly overmatched number eight seed through the NBA playoffs with Jordan-esque performances on the regular, and it's an amazing thing to witness. Like, quote, we're all witnesses, right? The Celtics, on the other hand, not an incredible thing to witness. The Celtics, on the other hand, not even fun to watch. Half fam. Chowtown. I know a lot of you are frustrated. I know a lot of you are heated. I know a lot of you are straight up pissed right now. And you should be. Because that was a brutal third quarter. A brutal game one. A brutal game one letdown again. And a brutal way to hand over home court in a series that you were supposed to dominate. I mean, that is a straight kick in the stick. It's the the second straight series that starts with a kick in the stick. Half fam. And there's no such thing as a half kick in the stick. Half fam. Like, I don't know what the hell happened to Jason Tatum in the fourth quarter. But he looked confused both about the rules and about what team he was on, right? Because he could not stop traveling. And he could not stop throwing the ball directly to the heat. Late, when it mattered most. And then there's head coach Joe Mazzula, clutching his timeouts again, saving them for who the hell knows what, refusing to call a single timeout during that entire hideous third quarter. You know, that third quarter where Boston was outscored 46-25 to when they came out of the locker room with a nice lead after the first half. But he's just going to let them figure it out. He's not going to get in the way. That's a learning situation. Easy, Phil Jackson. Maybe you do call a timeout. Let me run that back. They were outscored 46-25. to They allowed 46 third-quarter points in Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Finals at home. 
Yet, dude, never thought that maybe he might take a timeout. Maybe to stop the bleeding. Maybe to get that freaking train back on the rails. And if you thought that, thank you, Alvin, if you thought that Missoula would have an answer after the game for why that team came out of halftime and completely unraveled, was unprepared, and got their asses kicked. If you thought that he had a good answer for that, think again. Because here's what he actually had to say about that. We, we were prepared. We played harder than them in the first half. And then they outplayed us for one quarter. So we were prepared for it. We had the right mindset heading into the game. But that, that, no, 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 we had the right mindset heading into the game. We played harder than they did, and we were prepared. And we did a great job. The made all the difference, right? It did, but we were prepared. And then we let go of the rope. And so there's two storylines here. It's one, we were ready to play. And we had a great job executing on both ends of the floor in the first half. And it's about the consistency of they're going to continue to play. And so we have to be prepared um, for when we do outplay them, that they're going to respond and we have to respond. And so we were prepared. We just let go of the rope. Yeah, why did you let go of the rope? I don't know. It's a great question. Which would have led to another long, horrible answer. What do you mean there are two storylines? There's one storyline. You get your asses kicked. There's your storyline. I mean, that, that's an incredible response. You could say over and over and over again that you were prepared, but that doesn't make it so. You sure as hell didn't look prepared coming out of the locker room for the second half, which is why you got that question in the first place. Now, about this guy cutting off the reporter like, no, 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 no. I'm trying to answer your question. Yeah, but you're doing a really bad job of it. But this answer, we were prepared, and it's a couple of storylines, and we only got outplayed for one quarter. What kind of an answer is that? Nobody cares that you played harder than they did in the first half, or that you won three of the four quarters. Are you really making that argument? Congratulations, coach. Congratulations. You won three of the four quarters. Three of the four quarters. Too bad. You won three of the four quarters. Too bad you got your ass kicked in the game. Can I repeat that, coach? You won three of the four quarters. Too bad you got your ass kicked in the entire game. That is an all-time bad response. It's almost like he went Rafa reporter on that reporter. Like, we got our asses kicked, but we still won. Hi. Um, um, Nadal, congratulations on your win and we played harder than them in the first half and we were prepared and we had a great job executing on both ends of the floor in the first half and if you're ready to give it another try i lost by the way third great job. quarter made all the difference yeah i know but that, that, no, no no we had the right mindset heading into the game we played harder than they did but it's a, it's a, it's a win anyway we just let go of the rope mm. yeah, why did you let go of the rope mm. i don't know it's a great question look at the scoreboard three quarters for us one for them so we really won Mm-hmm. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. 
quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper or what's your beef? Mm. Man, what a bunch of gibberish. I really thought that Missoula had locked up that job full-time last series. Now I'm not so sure. Not that I'm looking to get anybody fired. I'm not. I'm not calling for his job. I'm just saying that these days, what NBA coach isn't getting fired? Then again, if you want to keep your job, you should do your job. I mean, look at you. Do your job. Am I right, Jimmy? Look at you. Do your job. Look at you. Do your job. Look at you. Do your job. Now, that's how you crack back from the podium like a damn boss. Look at you. Do your job. Look at you. Do your job. Hey, Alvy, if you don't mind, can I hear the entire exchange once again? This was back in the first round, right after Buckets and the Heat finished off the Bucks in five games. Listen to what Buckets did. Why does it say about this team that you were sitting here now having defeated the number one seed, getting ready for national television at Madison Square Garden on Saturday? Don't we play on Sunday? Sunday, I'm sorry. Look at you. Do your job. (laughs) Incredible. Incredible. That guy makes a mistake. You know, uh, what's it say about this team that you just beat the number one seed and you're getting ready to play on Saturday? Don't we play on Sunday? Oh, yeah, yeah, Sunday. Look at you. Do your job. Sunday, I'm sorry. Look at you. Do your job. What, What? And listen, I'm the last guy as a member of the media that wants to see an athlete bully the media but what an incredible response that was look at you do your job sunday i'm sorry look at you do your job butler man he is the greatest this is why this dude is the dude that's why he's jimmy friggin butler and himmy friggin buckets and that's why every day around here feels like bleeping jimmy butler day these days for all you bees out there Jimmy Butler day for all you out there. I'm telling you, that was something else. The only ones who had a worse day than Missoula was YouTube TV. How'd that go for you? Do you have that? Did you try to watch the game that way? How'd that go? Not so good, right? We'll get into that a little bit later on. Telephone number is toll-free, 1-800-636-8686. I want your thoughts on game one of the Eastern Conference. Everything was going so nicely for Boston until it wasn't. This is what happens when culture bumps up against talent. Talent's supposed to overwhelm, except they got overwhelmed. Brian Scalabrini will join me a little bit later on. All right, some other topics I want to get to. Smack off number 29. We have a date for that, June 30th. It's time that we really get into this. We had our first RSVP yesterday. Mark from Boston. I didn't call for it. I didn't ask for it. It just kind of organically resulted. He called up to RSVP, the first official RSVP, and it was awesome. I want to reset that for you, and I've got thoughts about the smack off. I think there are people who are just kind of tuning in who still don't really know exactly what it's about, how to get into it, how to win it, what it includes. So I'm going to lay that out for you, too. Had a tremendous episode of the Jim Rohn Podcast, which I pushed out yesterday. Episode 267 with my dude, Kevin Frazier. Butter! You clones know butter. He showed up as only he could or can. 
I want to set that up for you. Also, the Sixers. Let's say who's not having a good offseason so far. My guy, Troel. Joel Embiid lost his head coach and then not long thereafter lost his Larden. James Harden wants out. He's going to bounce. So Joel's got to be like, what's going on here? Like, I hate to say it because I love Joel, but it went really, really badly for him on the floor, and it's going just as badly for him off the floor. So where do the Sixers go from here? I want to get into all of that also. Let me check some reaction before I go to break. Hey, Jim. The Celtics might have more talent on the floor. Let me stop you right there. There's no might about that. They just do. I mean, that's not some hot take. We all know this. They absolutely have more talent on the floor. Dear Jim, the Celtics might have more talent on the floor. However, Eric Spolstra v. Joe Mazzula is a complete mismatch. And maybe the key to the series, hey, Jason Tatum, you are allowed to shoot in the fourth quarter. Playoff Jimmy is whack. Scott in Salt Lake. That's whack. What's whack about playoff Jimmy? If by whack you mean incredible, then I agree. He's whack. If by whack you mean you're a Celtics fan living in Salt Lake City, what's whack about playoff Jimmy? I'd just be hooping. Jimmy might say the playoff Jimmy is whack. And far be it for me to say anything about Jimmy is wrong. Far be it for me to disagree with Jimmy about Jimmy, right? But I'm going to disagree with Jimmy about Jimmy. Playoff Jimmy is real. And obviously, the Heat culture is real. Because if you look at these two teams on paper, there's no way that should happen. Culture beat talent. It did last night. It says, quote, It sounds like Coach Missoula... Got his game plan from Jameis Winston's trainer. Well, I just think we were prepared. You know, one thing my uh, my trainer, he told me, he said, what did he say? He just told us to be prepared. That is extremely well played. Nice job. That's at Mount Baker James. We were prepared, and then we let go of the rope. And so there's two storylines here. It's one, we were ready to play, and we had a great job executing on both ends of the floor in the first half. And it's about the consistency of... They're going to continue to play. And so we Yo, have Coach, to be prepared. Coach, don't damn thing you're saying. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. Brian Scalabrini is my guest. Scal, what's going on? How are you? Man, it's always good to catch up with Romy in the playoffs, man. I'm really excited about this. Dude, I love it. Me too. I, I could not have said that better. I've been looking forward to this the entire postseason. Scout, you can't be happy about what you saw last night from the Celtics. What are you the most unhappy about? Where would you start in breaking down that game? Yeah, I mean, I think this has been going on with their playoffs throughout. And, and Jim, I don't know about you. This is how I see it. Other people see it differently. And, you know, especially nowadays, like when a – superstar player loses they always seem to blame the role players blame the coach blame the organization i'm not blaming jason tatum for he had 30 points 
I just want to see the stars be the stars. And I don't think I'm asking too much. Jimmy Butler's being a star. Steph Curry, Anthony Davis, LeBron James are all being stars out there. Like Nikola Jokic, star. Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, star. Like I'm not – I want like I want my superstars, which are Tatum and Brown, and I think the world of these guys. I think they're all NBA for a reason, deservingly so. But I think in the playoffs, those guys got to have the ball in their hands making plays, whether that's making people around you better with passing. You could score. You can get to the free throw line. So I want – Tatum and Brown to take initiative of this team, this organization, and say, like, okay, we are going to win a championship because of us, and obviously we need role players, or we're going to lose it, but it's going to be us going out, you know, uh, you know, guns blazing. 100%. I'm on the same page with you, Scal. Brian Scalabrini joining us. So what about that? Like, you see Tatum, he goes for 51. In fact, he did exactly what you're talking about in Game 7 where he goes for 51. But then just it was so weird to watch him late last night. I was just making the point that either he forgot which team he played for because he kept turning it over or he forgot the rules because he kept traveling. Is it on Joe Missoula to do a better job of getting him the ball? Or does Tatum just say, man, give me the GD ball and get the hell out of my way? Well, I mean, I just think you've got to be aggressive. Like, these guys do touch it. They get the rebound. Superstar players can dictate that. So, I just want to see Tatum aggressive. And, by the way, Jim, I don't care if he travels three times and throws the ball to the other opponent. I just don't want to to see that with you on your heels. Like, no, nah, man. You know, like, lean forward. You know, get da- like, get get downhill. You know, try to – like, last year I thought the Celtics tried to do too much at times – and they turned it over, but I, I chalked it up as young, inexperienced. They came across to Steph Curry, who's an all-time great. I'm okay with losing like that. I, I just don't want – like, you know Tatum? He had the three turnovers. He had a couple free throws, but didn't take a shot in the fourth quarter. Took four shots in the second half after having set 18 points in the first half. So, you know, I'm – and it's, I guess it's a learning process. They did the same thing in the Atlanta game. Uh, he did the same thing in the Philadelphia game. Like, I just – I just want Tatum to say, and I don't, I won't put it on the coach because when he has 51, I don't sit over here and say Joe Mazzula did a great job of getting Tatum 51. I put that on the superstar player. So he is, he is so accomplished right now. He's got his own shoe. He's got all kinds of things going on. He's an all NBA player. He's an Olympian gold medal. You know, he doesn't have that championship yet. Top five in MVP voting. Those guys are the ones that got to dictate the ship. Hey, Scout, that whole thing about it's part of the process, it's part of the process. I understand the process, but are they not beyond the process? Shouldn't they know that by now, this group? Yeah, 100% they should be on that. This team has gone to the Eastern Conference Finals. They've been to the finals. Um, I just I don't, I don't get it. Jim, do you know uh, Denver, undefeated at home in the playoffs. Miami, undefeated at home. Lakers, undefeated at home. Celtics, 4-4 four and four at home. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. The Boston Garden has mystique to it. It's a tough place to play. Every visiting team would tell you, man, that's not an easy place to win. Like, I think we're, I think we're eight and nine over our last 17 uh, playoff games in, in the TD Garden. So I, I, don't, I don't get it. And some of the performances has, have been really lackluster. So, but they also have had game seven where they destroy Philly and make them quit. So a, a very up and down team. So I, when it's part of the process, I think when you get swept in the first round, that's part of the process. You know, like letting go of the rope when you've been there before is not part of the process. Yeah, getting outscored 46-25 in the third quarter is not a part of any process. Not no. a good process. Brian Scalabrini joining us. Scal, bottom line, I mean, 
Does culture beat talent over a seven-game series? Should it ever? You know where culture beats talent? Like, um, when, you're, when your guys don't bring it. Like, if, I, listen, Jim, I played 11 years. You mentioned it off the jump. I never went against a guy that, that I have more talent. But I stuck around for 11 years. A lot of guys came and went, right? But culture is like a pay, paying attention to detail, right? I never played for the Miami Heat, but I paid attention to detail. The culture is like playing above your skill level, what you're supposed to do. And you look at Gabe Vincent, Max Strews, Duncan Robinson, whoever you want. Jimmy Butler, by the way, like uh, Minnesota quit on Jimmy Butler for Wiggins and Towns. Uh, Philadelphia quit on Jimmy Butler because of Ben Simmons. So these guys are guys that make decisions. They have Jimmy Butler in. They want to call him a malcontent. It works in Miami. Spolster is getting the most out of him. So, People use the word culture. I think the Spurs do the same thing. They get players that people don't think are good, but whatever the reason, they pay attention to detail, they focus, and they just have a and – if, and if you don't do that with the Miami Heat, you're gone. And James Harden tip, uh, tapping out of game seven and then Doc getting fired, I can tell you what, if Jimmy Butler taps out of any game, Eric Spolstra is not getting fired. So you want to call all that culture? You can call that culture, but – I love I, if you, if you're a basketball fan, you love what the Miami Heat do. I I do. I love how hard they play. I love their attention to detail. I love how they have fight, and I love how they have no quit in them. But there are other teams out there that have culture, and I just think the Miami Heat across the board they know like they know how to get the most out of each guy. Scale, I'm in awe organizationally of the Miami Heat. I just, I can't even believe how unbelievable they are top to bottom. And that Jimmy, he may lead from the front. He might be that alpha, but he's one of them. He buys in. And the other guys you mentioned, Gabe Vincent, Gaucho, by the way. I love that. I'm proud of him. You know, the thing you made, the point you made about Jimmy Butler. Scout, you know the NBA better than anybody, as well as anybody. How is it that not one, but two franchises didn't get Jimmy Butler? Like, I understand that's a different cat. However, why would you not want him in your organization or on your team? Explain I'll how that works. I'll answer it so clearly to you. So, the, our greatest, the greatest player in the NBA is Michael Jordan, right? Michael Jordan is the greatest competitor. There's no question. Like I was, his will to win was off the charts, and he rubs guys the wrong way. All right. Well, we, so, we can all agree that Jordan is going to push guys. And he said it in the last dance. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make guys uncomfortable so I can get the most out of them because I'm trying to win. All right. So he's the greatest player. So if Michael Jordan was the 20th greatest player, some people would say it's not worth it. It's not worth it to go through what Michael is going to put you through if he isn't Michael Jordan. So Jimmy Butler rubs people the wrong way. He pushes people. He pushes people's buttons the wrong way. So if it's not worth it, if he's not a top 20 player, top 30 player, Miami, they believe it is. They believe that, uh, you know what, I don't care. You know what, by the way, I think, I think Pat Riley does the same thing. I think Eric Spolstra does the same thing. There are some guys that are obsessed with winning, and they want to see you what you're like with your back against the wall. Jimmy Butler is like that as a player. If you're not, if you're not a top-tier player in the NBA, a lot of teams will look at Jimmy Butler and say, oh, man, is he really worth the headache? You'll hear lines like that. For Miami, he's 1,000% worth the headache. Other teams, they're worth the headache. For like, I guess for Minnesota, it wasn't worth the headache. For Philadelphia, I guess having Ben Simmons was worth it. It's not worth the headache. So I just think some organizations will, will do whatever. It, like if LeBron was like that, you'll do whatever it took for LeBron. But a lot of people think 
you don't do that for Jimmy Butler, except for the Miami Heat, which they are totally fine with it. And not only that, they embrace it. I think it's a great explanation. So a lot of this comes down to fit. So, Scal, before you go, what are the biggest adjustments that you want to see Boston make heading into game two? Yeah, I mean, it'll be simple. Like, you just can't – one – it's things that everybody knows. Like any a person off the street could know that you have to play hard against the Miami Heat and not let go of the rope. So that's one, right? You can't turn the ball over. That's another one. The biggest adjustment they'll make, and I'd be shocked if they don't, high volume usage of Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown throughout the game. And it will start the first five minutes of the game. Those guys will go, you know, Tatum will have two possessions. Brown will have two. Tatum will have two. Brown will have two. And they will stay on the attack. And, and that's when they're at, when the Celtics are at their best in the playoffs, that's what they're doing. Everything else is all like a smoke and mirror. So I, the, the adjustment will be that. And another one, watch for the double big lineup. Joe Mazzula went with the starting lineup, but he didn't stick with it as much. When Rob Williams and Al Horford on the floor, the team typically is much better. So, I think those would be the two things you'll see. No one like him. One of my favorite things to do every NBA postseason is run down Brian Scalabrini, 11 years in the NBA, an NBA champion, Celtics TV game analyst for NBC Sports Boston, also a radio host with Sirius XM. Scal, I know how busy you are. Really appreciate you coming back on, man. Awesome time as always. All right. Thanks, Jim. See ya. Guys, keep yourself tight and feeling confident with new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant, reformulated with 72-hour sweat and odor protection and one-quarter moisturizing cream. Stop worrying about your underarms so you can be present for the moments that matter. Do not let underarm insecurities keep you at arm's distance from the ones you care about. Buy new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant with 72-hour sweat and odor protection wherever personal care products are sold. We know that when it matters, that culture is going to kick in. We know the culture is a real thing. Like, I, I can't get enough of it. I'm absolutely fascinated by Jimmy Butler. I thought Brian Scalabrini did an amazing job of breaking down what Jimmy Butler brings to it and why he's a fit for some teams but not other teams. And I said, how can this guy not be a fit for everybody? Why would you not want him? Why would you not want Jimmy Butler, not only in the way he plays – on both ends of the floor, not only in the way he plays on the big stage, but in the way that he makes everybody better in terms of accountability, responsibility. And I thought the scout made a really interesting point when he said, listen, if it's MJ, MJ's not easy to play with. I can remember back in the day when MJ was playing and Steve Kerr was a member of the Bulls and Steve Kerr would come on the show quite a bit. Steve Kerr was a great, great jungle interview. And we would talk a lot about the fact that MJ's MJ, MJ's the GOAT, but MJ is not easy to play with. Like, as interesting as Steve Kerr is as a head coach and what he says and what he does, he was like that as a player. And he knew his role and he knew his place, but Steve Kerr would say things like, listen, I'm, I'm here to tell you as great as Michael is, he's not easy to play with because he's so demanding. So demanding. So, in case you missed hour number one, Brian Scalabrini's point was the reason that Jimmy Butler may not have worked with the T-Wolves, well, number one, they're the T-Dogs, right? We saw their act. You can see why that was never going to work. Like, I don't think that they got rid of him. I think he got rid of them. I think he fired the T-Wolves. They didn't move him along because there was no way he was going to tolerate that. 
Jimmy Butler, who is all in, all out, every single day, no days off, in the gym at 3 a.m. getting his work in, is not going to be surrounded by people who are not of like mind. He's just not. You can see where that didn't work out. But what about Philadelphia? What's the 76ers excuse? How the hell does that not work out? Isn't that exactly what they needed? Did you see the way they folded? Did you see the way they melted down? You see what James Harden did? You see what Joel did? Why would they not need him? So has there ever been, and again, Scal's point was, listen, some franchisers are going to say, of course it's worth it for MJ. Of course it's worth it for LeBron. Of course it's worth it if you're Kobe and you're that demanding. But is it really worth it for a, quote, top 30 player? I'm not saying that that's what Jimmy Butler is. You know, are there 30 guys in the NBA better than Jimmy Butler? I'm going to say no. I know there's not 30 more valuable guys. I'm not sure there's five more valuable guys. And I know this. Find me a better fit than Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat. It's incredible. He might not be for everybody, and he might not be for every organization, but that organization is tailor-made. Pat Riley is like the 80-year-old version of Butler. Spo is like the 40-something-year-old version of Pat Riley. And then you've got everybody on that team. Look at all those role guys. I'm not saying that they're not good players, but how much better are they because of Jimmy Butler? I mean, these guys, would they be who they are on any other team but that team if not for that culture? I can't get enough of that organization or that culture. It's amazing to me that they're willing to go to battle. Boston doesn't have that. The Celtics are not in any way built like that. They're not, or they wouldn't have come out and gotten outscored 46-25 to in the third quarter. That's about the way they're built. So for Missoula to come out and say, we were prepared, the hell you were, you weren't. That's how you got hammered in the third quarter. You know why? You weren't prepared. You weren't prepared for the heat that Miami was going to bring that everybody knew they'd bring because they do every single time down the floor. How are you not prepared prepared for that? And then when they did punch you in the face, you went down. You went to sleep. whole thing was so bizarre to me. So we were prepared for it. The, The hell you were, coach. You just weren't. And if the argument is, well, we were, look at what we did in the first half. All right, fine. You were prepared to play one half of basketball. That's not going to beat Miami. And we were prepared. Not in the third quarter, you weren't. Not only that, Joe, you weren't prepared. You weren't prepared for the third quarter where the game was lost and the home court was ripped. So do not tell me you were prepared. You weren't. We just let go of the rope. That's not a good enough response. Not why. How the hell do you let go of the rope in the Eastern Conference Finals against a team that you know will never let go of the rope? I don't buy that. I don't buy it. How the hell do you let go of the rope? I don't know. It's a great question. What's the answer, coach? So we were prepared for I mean, your job might depend on it. Your season might depend on it. You best figure out the answer to that. How the hell do you let go of the rope? Hi. In... Game one of the Eastern Conference Finals when you're a team that's supposed to win it all. You've been there before. This isn't the Sacramento Kings that haven't been there in 16 years and they're young and it's a process and they're learning. It's the Celtics with stars across the board. 
I'll get right back to the calls and to you as soon as somebody can answer how you let go of the rope. I know you let go of the rope, Joe. How did it happen? How does that happen with the talent and pedigree you have on that team? How? Chris in Milwaukee answers my question. Jimmy, for us, Jimmy Butler was a programmatic non-fit. Regards, the T-Wolves and Sixers, well done. That's a great answer. Because you know what? He was. He was a programmatic non-fit. It was a uh, programmatic non-fit. You know know who Jimmy Butler does not fit in with? People who don't want it as much as he does. People who don't work as hard as he does. People who don't win. People who aren't as tough. People who don't grind the way he does. People who are not about the life. This just in, we talked about it yesterday. Not everybody wants that life. They want the life, but they don't want the life. Good job. Butler's all about it. Always has been. This is not new development. This guy's always been like this. He was like this in college. He's been like this everywhere he's been in the NBA. And not everybody wants to be around a guy like that who's always on and always pushing and always that hardcore. Got the beef segment coming up. So hit me with a beef. Tweet me a beef. And then you got the Sixers. Why don't we go back to them for a minute? I mean, Sixer land. Man, how bad is it right now? Philly fan, how you feeling right now? I think we all know the answer. It hasn't even been a week since the Sixers had a chance to knock out these very same Celtics and head to the Eastern Conference Finals as the favorite. They had an MVP looking to win his first Lario. They had a whole entire process, the entire process that they'd worked so many years on looking to finally come to fruition. Then that total and complete dumpster fire happened on Sunday and the entire franchise is still smoldering from that meltdown. Doc Rivers gets run to absolutely nobody's surprise, except maybe Doc, who said he planned on coming back. And then in another total anti-shocker, Chris Haynes reported yesterday that James Harden is going to opt out of his player option for next season. He's got a $35.6 million player option that he's turning down because it's not enough money. He thinks he can do better. Apparently, he wants a four-year deal. Alvi does not have enough laugh drops to properly react to that, but you might as well just go ahead and empty the clip, dude. <laughs> Maybe it's not that funny. Maybe somebody will give that to him. He obviously thinks they will, or you don't opt out. Maybe he knows the Rockets will give him what he wants. So he wants more money. He wants more years. He reportedly wants a four-year deal. He wants to remind everybody, hey, listen, I tried. I tried to be that guy. I took less to chase the ring. You know, that cut that dropped him down to, how do I get by on 33 mil? He wants everybody to know he left money on the table, did the right thing, was that team guy. I did everything I could to win a ring, and it didn't work. So I'm out. I'm going to bounce. Hey, JL. See what I did there, JL? Hey, JL. I'm fine with that. I mean, I get it. Sort of, kind of. Except you were the dude 
who scored exactly zero points in the fourth quarter of Game 7 on Sunday. So I really don't want to hear about how you did the right thing. You're the one who sacrificed your game and yourself and your bank account for everybody else so we can win this thing. When you, in fact, did nothing in Game 7 when they had to have it. Zero points in the fourth quarter of Game 7 Sunday. Zero points in the fourth quarter of Game 6 before that. Zero points in fourth quarter of Game 5 before that. So stop telling me how much you did for everybody else and how much money you left on the table. How many points did you leave on the floor? But sure, you're underpaid. And 35 mil is not enough to finish what you started, and you need more years. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Approaching mid-30s, looking to secure the bag one last time. But just stop making yourself out to be this martyr who did all the right things and took less to try to win a ring and that it didn't work out and you tried. You know why it didn't work out? In large part because you continued to show up and score zero in the fourth quarter of big games. So what's Philly supposed to do right now? Like they can't possibly pay or extend him although they need him, like they're kind of jammed if they do and they're jammed if they don't. Believe me, this is not a positive development for them, no matter how bad he was in the fourth quarter. I mean, we already know he's pretty much like Daryl Morey's favorite player ever, right? Like, you know he's going to try. But how do you watch what just happened at the end of the Celtics series and then give this guy four years at 40 million plus? But then you might argue, how can they afford not to? Man, that's the insanity of the whole thing, right? Like, if he walks, they're screwed. But if he comes back, they're screwed. Puts him in a bad spot. You know what would have fixed that? If they just played to their ability and they advanced and did what they were supposed to do. And played like, well, Joel like the MVP that he is. And Harden like the $40 million a year dude that he thinks he is. Instead, now they're hunting for a new coach. And Joel apparently is shocked and upset that Doc is gone. Lost his coach, lost his Larden. Now what? Like I said, Philly fan, things are not good right now. Not for anybody, not even for my guy, not even for the MVP. What a disaster. Can you imagine how badly things have gone? What an incredible moment that was when Joel accepted the MVP trophy and insisted, I'm not doing this interview unless I have my teammates. And then we're going on and on about how Joel, and I love him. Like, Joel is one of the best guys ever. And even if you don't agree with him being one of the best guys ever, he is one of the best stories ever. The guy didn't even play basketball until he was like 15. And now he's the MVP. And he's crying. And they're there. Think about everything that has happened since the announcement that he got that hardware. It's incredible. Couldn't save Doc. Couldn't keep from losing Larden. And even Joel, unfortunately, has taken a big hit in the last couple of weeks because of the way he showed up for that Boston series. And yes, he was dinged, but nobody wants to hear it. In the meantime, every time Jokic takes the floor, we're talking about a guy, and, and this is not some developing story, but we're talking about a guy who does things that we've never seen before. No matter what the hot take jerks are saying about him. It's never been about, he's too fat, he can't do this. There's nothing this guy can't do. The guy's incredible. So things are not good in Philly. Philly fans, sorry about that.
Just a process. I mean, Philly fan, you know misery. In fact, you're not happy unless you're miserable. And I'm not piling on. Like, I, I love you. But I know you're not happy unless you're miserable. You're happy if you're happy, but you're more happy if you're miserable. So right about now, I'm guessing you're really happy. In fact, I wish I were there with you. Like, the Chouts might be my half fam, but you're my surrogate fam. I wish you and I, Philly fan, could shimmy up some light poles, hammer some horse pie sandos, and be pissed together. What a mess. Tomahawk, some Kettle One bottles. Basically, I want to be one of you. What a disaster. Literally from the second Joel got that award, it all ripped apart. Crash and burn. Sometimes we start with the written beefs. Sometimes we start with the calling beefs. And it didn't used to be that way. The callers were never good. The callers, I'm not going to say, have caught up. In fact, you know what they have? On some days, they're better. Some days, the calls are better than the written beefs. Let's find out if today is one of those days. First off, Jacksonville. Richie, you set the tone, Richie. What is your beef? Jim, my beef is with the NFL games being played in Europe, always starting at 9.30 a.m. here on the East Coast. Why not start the games at 7 in London? That way, real fans of these teams don't have to watch a game at 9.30 in the morning. Some of you clones probably don't have a problem waking up and cracking open a beer that early, but most of us do. War Jack fans not screaming Duvar anymore because it's just dumb. Out. Dude, are you complaining about having to crack open a beer at 9 o'clock in the morning? Dude, what are you hating about? And you're hating on Duval. I'm not going to stop doing that. If Danica's not going to stop doing that, I'm not going to stop doing that. My man, how big of an ask is it to crack open a beer to see your favorite football team, which is a damn good team now, at 9 a.m. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, I don't do a lot of it myself, but can I tell you, flying to Madison last week, I saw old dudes on the airplane cracking open not beers at 8 a.m., but scotch. Wow, man. Hate much? No one's asking you to get on a plane and go to London. It's just roll out of the rack and crack open a beer. You're not playing. Nobody's asking you to make that flight. Dude, it's a morning beer. Have you ever gone to a tailgate early in the morning? That's a strange beef. All right, let's keep moving. But it's his beef, and I said beef about anything you want. I guarantee there will be reaction beef to that beef. And sooner rather than later. Let's go to John and Philly. John, great to have you. John, what is your beef? Thanks, Jim. My beef, my beef is with my barber, Jim. And I can't make this up. After Monday's train wreck, I figured I'd get cleaned up and go get my hair cut. Well, it's a new guy. And somewhere between what, we're, what are we doing today and what he did to my hair. And, and, Jim, I have a decent head of hair, right? It didn't translate. Now I got what looks like a cross between a weave, a toupee, and a plug job. Hair's hanging down over my face, and it gets better. Now I'm in front of the mirror with a pair of scissors, Right. I thought I was the only one that could make myself look bad. Apparently, there's somebody else out there, too. I'm out. Nice job, John in Philly. Hey, so what do you do? If you go to the barbershop and you find out that the first team's not there, what do you do? Do you turn around and walk out, or do you trust the second team? 1-800-636-8686. Let's go to Michigan. Carl, good to have you. Carl, what's your beef? Hey, Jim. Nice to talk to you. My beef was with the lottery. I mean, how many times can they screw Detroit? 
The Red Wings get screwed. The Pistons move down. Jim, it's not right. It's got to be a conspiracy. Uh, my man, I think I had that phone call yesterday from you or somebody else. How many times? I don't know. Every time? You should be used to it by now. It didn't work. They tried to trust the process only to fall out of the top four altogether. 1-800-636-8686. Let's go. Oh, this is incredible. The RIB? Rick in Buffalo. In a beef? That sounds too good to be true. But I'll take him whenever I can get him. Rick in Buffalo. Rick, what's going on? What's your beef? Tim, my beef is with Jolly Rancher Hard Candy. You know, the one that's been around for 72 years and has never invented a wrap that doesn't get stuck in the candy. While you're sucking on it, half of the plastic goes down your throat and you're choking on it. I'll never forget the day my old man died, Jim. He rolled over, looked at me, coughed up a ball of plastic the size of a softball, and said, Rick, I love you, my man, but I love Jolly Ranchers more. Do better, Jolly Rancher. No. Definitely not Rick. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Definitely not Rick and definitely not good. That's a fake Rick in Buffalo. Hey, Chuck, when do you want to bounce back to the written beefs? All right, so what I'm going to do is bounce back to the written beefs, which is going to give you a chance to call up with better beefs. Caller's not having such a good day. Let's see here. At Golfhammer22 writes, My beef is with Father Time. Yes, he is undefeated. And currently he's giving me an ass whooping. Working in the garden yesterday caused my knee to swell up like a softball. Recently, I hurt my back while grilling. What's next? A toothbrush injury? Getting old sucks. Preach, dude. There's something to it. Like, really inane, benign things can get you injured as you get older. It's true. Push back. Push back. As Jocko would say, push back against the deterioration. Hey, Rome, my beef is with people that say a benign swear word like hell or damn and then feel the need to tag it with a pardon my French. You aren't speaking French or even being edgy, you dope. You're just using words that the rest of us have been saying since first grade. Just keep moving like the no big deal it is. Drez in C-Town. War LT asking a then childless Rome if he was a good father. Nice job. Am I a good father? Are you? I don't have any kids, LT. You can ask me now. I said, hey, oh, LT, are you, are, you, are you a good dad? Am I a good father? Are you? Don't answer a question with a question. And I don't have any kids. I didn't then. His kid was pissed, man. His kid took a run at me in GQ back then for that question. Hey, Rome, my beef is with these sports announcers that kept promoting the idea that players are, quote, getting downhill. Hey, announcer guy, last I checked, the football field is flat. The basketball court is flat. You cannot, quote, get downhill on something that does not have a hill. Out, Aaron in Denver. That's cute, Aaron, but you know what we're doing with that. We don't mean physically getting downhill. It's a figure of speech. It's a description. Description. Hey, Jim, my beef is with fathers 
who go to Taylor Swift concerts with their kids. These guys are reaching out to the stage, crying and overcome with emotion. A middle-aged man sporting Dockers does not qualify as a Swifty. Get it together, loser. Jim in Temecula. Yeah, I don't know, Jim. You're my dude, but there's something about sharing music with your kids, whatever the genre is. Like, I, I'm trying to think. I remember I went to a, a Springsteen concert years and years and years ago, and there was this dude, and we were on the floor, and he had his little girl. And the little girl might have been six, and she knew every word to every Springsteen song, and I thought that was kind of cool. thought that was kind of nice and cute. Let's see here. At Work Sucks Book. Hey, Ramji, my beef is with Joel Embiid, who plays basketball like he's at the Atlantic City boardwalk playing Papa Shot hoop game at the arcade. There is no railing between you and a hoop, Joel. You're a seven-foot ass, doesn't have to start every set standing at the top of the key. Ouch. Dear Pimp, my beef is with restaurants that only give you ketchup in those useless, tiny little silver bowls. Then I have to ask the server five times for a refill so I can finish my fries. Look, sweetie, go to the kitchen, bring me the kitchen bo- a ketchup bottle so I know that you're pouring from. Otherwise, your tip decreases every time I have to eat a dry fry. Craig in Calgary. Something to it, right? What do you want to do, Chalk? You want to go back to the calls? You want to stay on the written? Jim, I got a beef with mow my lawn at 45-degree angle guy. Hey, algebra guy. You live on Pumpkin Lane. Why do you feel it's necessary to make your lawn a right triangle? The MLB All-Star Game isn't going to be contested on your field of dreams. So lace up your tarnished mower shoes, fill the John Deere with some 87, and proceed parallel or perpendicular from the condo. Tim in Clifton Park. Man, that is strong. I kind of respect dudes that are about the lawn mowing process and that every blade matters and that there's a way to do things, a right way and a wrong way, and there's a passion for that kind of attention to detail. But at the same time, that is such a great take. I actually like both. Romy, I got beef with adults who still anxiously do the pee-pee dance when they have to use the restroom. Same goes for adults who plug their ears when a train passes. Sean in Orlando. Hey, Sean, come on. Have you ever seen an adult plug their ears when the train went by? Or do the pee-pee dance. Jimmers, I got hashtag beef. With the fact that the NHL and NBA playoffs are concluding soon and we are going to be stuck with ass ball until preseason. Gee, I can't wait to hear about the strike-foul ratio for the next few months. Life is crap until September. Abby in SD. War Abby and SD at CDN Posty for Life. Rome, my beef is with the person that takes up four parking spaces on an angle. 
if you're that scared to get door dinged, leave the rig at home and take a taxi and back. Hashtag what's your beef? I got a beef really quickly. So did I tell you this or not? Remind me. When I went to Madison, I got off my plane. I was not with the fam. We flew separately. And instead of going with Uber, I saw a taxi taxi cab sign. I'm like, you know what? Screw it. Why go into the app? I'm just going to get a cab. So I go out to get the cab, and it's a minivan. And this dude says to me, I'm the only cab. Do you mind waiting for another fare? And I've had a long day already, and I'm kind of illing. I'm like, cool. Cool, I guess. He sees another guy. He asks that guy, where are you going? And he's going in the opposite direction. So he's like, that's not going to work. So I get in the cab, and I close the window. And this bitterman goes, oh, I guess you're not okay with waiting. And then whips around to the car and gets in with all sorts of attitude. Like the first guy I've ever met in Wisconsin with not a good attitude. I'm like, bro, I actually would have waited. I just closed the window. I'll make it right, my guy. He's like, kind of harumped at me. Wow. Hey, dude, is it my fault? I mean, I I thought that was the whole game. You're a cab driver. I get in the cab. I tell you where I need to go. You run the fare. Is it my responsibility for you to get another one? Or my fault that you're the only one? Ross Chastain is my guest. Ross, it's great to have you on the show. Ross, how are you? Mr. Rome, I'm doing well. How are you? Good, dude. Good. It's great to have you on. So let me ask you, Ross. It's been a wild ride so far this year. You're the overall points leader, but there's been no shortage of drama. How do you feel about the way you're running? And then how would you describe what the season has been like for you personally? Yeah, it's uh, NASCAR is, is a crazy sport. Look, man, we, we start uh, middle of February, and we race every week except for one through November. So Valentine's Day to almost Thanksgiving, we are racing every weekend. Uh, it's a week-to-week sport and uh, something that I've, I've dedicated my, my career and my life to since I was, uh, definitely since I was 18 years old and started and fell in love with the sport at 12 years old. So to, to hear that introduction as the Cup Series points leader uh, several races into the year, is it's, it's, uh, it's an amazing feeling. It's uh, a lot of a lot of uh, <laughs> uh, testament to hard work and a, lot, a long time coming. Um, I didn't just come into the sport and, and get here right away, so it took me a little, bit of a long runway. And this year, man, is 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 wild. Um, NASCAR, we're in our we're in our second year of our new car, our next gen car, we call it. And uh, as it's evolved, we continue to evolve with it with Trackhouse. Only a third year of of the team's existence, and my second year with them. So, uh, parking first in the garage is a uh, is an awesome feeling and uh, something we don't take lightly. Ross Chastain joining us. You know, I can appreciate that. I'm going to ask you about that new car as well. You know, when we talk about what's gone on, and yeah, I mean, you it's a testament to hard work. It's a testament to talent. And it's a testament to the way you run and your style. It's an example. You had a good look at winning your first race Sunday at Darlington, but you came together with Kyle Larson off a restart with six laps to go. And I'm saying this like those who know know what happened. But ultimately, you finished in 29th place. For those who don't know, can you take us through exactly what happened at the end of that race? Yeah, um, there's a there's a lot of variables, and um, Kyle and I are 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 good friends, and and we we train together, pair together, we drive for separate teams with him at, at Hendrick Motorsports and me at Trackhouse, and Hendrick is one of the the legacy teams of the sport, and we're 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 new, but we prepare together, and and we are partners in this. So 
um, yeah, it came down to the end, and, and I overstepped uh, my car's grip level. Look, I, it's, uh, I, got, I got three pedals with a gas brake and a clutch and a steering wheel, and, and ultimately I, I used too much gas and, and went too fast and slid up and ended up turning myself into the wall and taking Kyle with me, uh, with me ultimately getting the, the worst end of it. So um, it, it's tough. Uh, with a with a win on the line at Darlington, a uh, by far my favorite racetrack and one that we've had good speed at uh, since since I got to the, with my team. So my crew chief and and pit crew and engineers and mechanics, most of us have been together for this is now our third year. Uh, we were at Chip Ganassi Racing before, and then Trackhouse acquired CGR, and, and we came over with them. So to do it with my group is really uh, what makes it even more special. And uh, this number one team, we've, we've been together now for three years. By far the longest I've ever worked with a group. I've, I've bounced around the sport a lot, and and um, it's it's been quite a journey to get here. So uh, to, to be able to stay with this group, transition to the new car with a new team last year, and now build on it, um, you know, we're able to, to go race. But ultimately at Darlington, man, I, I overstepped it, and I get to live with that. All right, so I appreciate that. So you own that. So you found a group that gets you, embraces you. Ross, you did mention, though, that after Darlington, there were some tough conversations with Trackhouse Racing founder Justin Marks. What was his message to you? Uh, I mean, look, it, it's I've raced against Justin, and, and, and we've known each other really my entire NASCAR career. I, my very first truck race to go back a little bit was stepping into a truck he was getting out of he had ran the first half of the season and then i stepped in and ran a handful of races and a, and a couple other drivers did as well but i bought some seats from him and i remember the first time i met aaron his wife i i was uh i knocked on her front door rang her doorbell and to pay justin for the seats and he was gone training i didn't even know what training was for to be a nascar driver and I uh, paid, uh, you know, Aaron, and and that's where I met her, and and I already knew Justin. So, to uh, to come full circle now, uh, we have a, a great relationship, and so we're able to have those, you know, those tough conversations whenever we need to. We're we're big boys and girls. This is big time auto racing, and um, you know, I'll keep keep some of the conversation, you know, inside the walls of Trackhouse, and uh, we we we're on the same page though, and we want the same things, and so he's uh, he's our leader, he's our owner. Together with Pitbull, Mr. Worldwide, it's uh, it's a quite the dynamic duo there, and uh, together we'll we'll get better and 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 they'll keep molding me. Look, I'm I'm 30 years old. I have a lot to learn. This is my third year of being in the a competitive car in the Cup Series, and and the new car really has been a a spark for us and something we've really uh, enjoyed racing and, and been able to have good speed and, and quality cars. Um, you know, because now with the car, we, we all have the same parts and pieces across the entire series. So uh, Justin was able to, you know, lay some, some things out for me and some plans and some procedures, and, um, you know, I'll be, I'll be better for it. Ross Chastain joining us. Listen, I can respect it. What you want to say is, hey, what was said between those walls is between us. It's our team, and you want to keep that private. I totally understand that. Let me ask you this, Ross. Like, the way you run and your style and how aggressive you are, you're not where you are if you're not that aggressive. You're not where you are unless you're pushing the limit. That's why you are where you are in part. I'm curious, did Justin in any way look for you to adjust that style or dial it back in any way? Is that a part of the equation? Well, I think it's human nature to always want to to evolve and be better and and learn from our past. And 
if I don't learn from Darlington last Sunday, then I'm doing myself a disservice and, and I'm not going to be the best race car driver I can be. I have ran uh, 450 some odd starts in the top three series. I've been racing since I was 12 years old and, you know, I can remember a lot of those and I take lessons learned from the past to be better the next time, be better for our, our all-star race this weekend at North Wilkesboro Speedway, uh, a track we haven't raced at since 1996. I don't even remember them racing there. I was born in 92, so um, it's, it's you know, I, I'm going to keep learning. I'm going to continue to get better, and, and the day that I stop trying to be better, the day I think I've ran the perfect race lap will probably be the start date of me deciding that I'm done racing at this level. And uh, I don't, I don't believe that I've ever ran the perfect lap on a racetrack. And, um, you know, I, I, until I achieve that, um, I won't be satisfied and I don't know that I ever will, but I, and I recognize that. So, um, you know, there is, uh, there's just a lot to learn and a lot to, to, to continue to evolve. So, um, Justin, uh, he, he, uh, he has a unique way of, of leadership, uh, really different than, than any other team owner I've ever had. He's he's younger than almost all of the previous team owners I've worked with and um, has an incredible way of motivating um, that goes along with, with Pitbull's way of motivating at his concerts on his tour where uh, I, I want, I'm ready to run through a brick wall when I get done talking to either one of them. It's a really interesting team in that regard, and it's paying off. You are the points leader. Let me ask you this. And to the point that you're making, like, hey, I'm 30. I'm evolving. I'm changing. I'm getting better. Believe me, I know the way I was when I was 30, which was a hell of a long time ago. I was a very different talk show host and a very different person. I know exactly what you're talking about. You mentioned Rick Henrik. Let me ask you this. For those who do not understand the sport, there's certain things that go on on the track, right? Henrik said this about you, quote, he's going to make a lot of enemies. It's hard to win a championship when you've got a lot of paybacks out there end of quote i know you saw that ross what is your reaction to the statement that he made is there something to that are you concerned about that for sure i mean look when mr hendrick talks we all listen and and he has earned that and he has built an incredible race team that that i'm proud to be a, a small partner of with track house and in, in talking with mr hendrick this week personally uh, we had some some good conversation, and he had a lot of lot of advice for me. Um, it's you know I, I wish I ha- I have talked to him in the past, but I wish I would have had more conversations with him because he's he's just got so much knowledge uh, of doing this and 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 molding drivers. He's worked with some of the greatest all time in our sport. He's raced against even more of the all time greats, and so um, he just that that lineage and that that history of uh, this is not his first rodeo with with somebody that's made the mistake that I made on Sunday. And so, um, you know, uh, there's a lot that I took from that conversation and I will, will lean on him more as the timing is right. I'm not going to, not going to bug him by any means, but um, I, I took a lot, a lot from it and he was, was very kind and, and really, really good to talk to. So um, it's, it's uh, it's humbling in, in a in a way, and um, it's I do I do hear what he says, and and I listen to it. So let me ask you this before you go: you like you mentioned some of the all time greats in the sport, and your sport is no different than any other sport in that sports thrive with rivalries. Every sport needs great rivalries. I saw something in the press the other day that I thought was really really interesting. The quote was, 
is Ross Chastain v. Kyle Larson, this generation's Dale Earnhardt v. Jeff Gordon. I mean, dude, that is some really, it says, it's not that far-fetched. That was part of the headline. That is some really, really heady stuff. What do you make of that? Is there something to that? I'm not sure. I'm a race car driver, Jim, that that I get paid to drive in circles. So all the other stuff, all the nicknames, the the Melon Man, our Melon Man brand, uh, you know, Trackhouse, everything, all the names come from other people, you know, and and then it's up to us to go do what we love. And and the fact that we get to do it is absolutely incredible. So I'm not here to to self-assign myself a nickname or anybody else. I'm not here to, to really emulate anybody in any certain way other than I want to go faster than all of my competitors and doing that in the best way I can will continue to change. And I don't, I don't play a part. I don't try to, I don't try to be like anybody of the past. And I, I just try to be the best version of myself. And um, that's what we're, what I'm, I'm working on right now. And, and, you know, I will continue to, to learn. I'm not saying I'm going to be perfect, but um, the names, the nicknames, the, the mantras, uh, the merch, that's all. Uh, I mean, I have some input on what we do, but uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not looking at going out to, to you know, I, I wish I would, could have met Mr. Earnhardt Sr. I, I know his son, Dale Jr., well, raced with him last night in the, in the late model stock race up in North Wilkesboro and had a blast uh, in, a, in a local race up there. And, um, you know, in, uh, in, in this progression of my career, um, there's been ups and downs and this is, this is one of them and, uh, not looking to be like anybody else Just looking to be the best version of Ross Chastain, the, the watermelon farmer turned race car driver that I can be. You bet, man. I see you working. I like that. I appreciate that. That's all any of us can hope to be. He's the driver of the number one Chevy Camaro for track house racing. I mentioned having a big year, six top tens. Five to five top fives and the points leader overall. And this Sunday, NASCAR is at the North Wilkesboro Speedway. It is the NASCAR All-Star Open at 5.30 Eastern time. Ross, good job. That was a good extended conversation. I appreciate you. Have a great week, and I'll be tracking that the rest of the year. Really nice to have you on, Ross. Thank you, Mr. Rome. We'll talk later. Good night now!